Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today we're going to be talking about bike fitting and specifically using bike fitting to eliminate pain and fatigue on the trail. Today we have a special guest with us, Chris Daniels. He's one of the writers for Single Tracks and I wanted to give him a chance to introduce himself. Hey Chris. Hey guys, thanks for having me. So Chris, apart from writing articles for Single Tracks, what do you do for your day job? So as my full-time job, I'm a nurse anesthetist, uh, which basically I, it means that I provide anesthesia, and I do that mostly uh, in an operating room in a hospital here in town. I also provide OB service, so we know we do epidurals and spinals for cesarean sections, and it's an advanced practice nursing degree, much like, like an APRN, or advanced practice nurse, mm-hmm. nurse practitioner. Cool. So, I mean, part of what inspired this podcast is your article about eliminating arm pump, uh, which is something that a lot of writers experience. And we'll definitely talk about that a little bit later. I did want to mention too, that one of the most popular articles on single tracks year in and year out is an article that Sid wrote several years ago about how to fit yourself on a mountain bike. So it's definitely a topic that people are interested in and something that is good to talk about. So I want to start off with this question. Mountain biking can be painful, obviously, in a lot of ways, you know, crashing and the aerobic pain that you get from riding uphill and burning legs and that sort of thing, which is all pretty normal. But are there other types of pain in mountain biking that aren't normal and things that, you know, maybe can eliminate through a bike fit? Yeah, Greg here, and I'll jump in on this one. I think one critical type of abnormal pain that you know, is an instant sign that something is wrong is numbness. So if you're experiencing numbness in ultimately any part of your body, something is going wrong and that really shouldn't be happening. In addition to numbness, you know, which could happen, you know, in your hands, in your extremities, in your ass, you know, it could happen anywhere. Maybe I shouldn't go there. Um, but there's all kinds of, you know, pain from an improper bike fit that's just additional stress on your muscles and your joints that are already stressed from riding, but having an improper bike fit can put additional stress on them that doesn't need to be there. So you could have extra stress on your knees or your muscles or another part of your body that could just be drastically reduced with a bike fit. So some of those stresses are a little bit harder to suss out because it's like, well, is it just me being out of shape or is it like a bad fit? So right some points that's a little bit more difficult to determine i want to jump in there for a second i think that's uh just kind of reiterate some of what greg said but um you know there's there's acceptable pain and unacceptable pain and actually that was one of the things i learned from eric's article this month that talked about sort of embracing pain making room for it in your life mm-hmm. and that that's what i would say is is an acceptable pain versus unacceptable pain and i think the the, the differences of the two are that an acceptable pain is readily explainable, if you will. And uh, this is easier for experienced riders, of course, because we know that, you know, say three, four, five hours into a ride, what's going to start hurting. Mm-hmm. And we know how to fix it most of the time, right? Right. Um, when it becomes unacceptable, unacceptable pain isn't quite as intuitive, meaning, you know, you shouldn't be getting, like Greg said, you know, numbness, um, you know, say, you know, half an hour into your ride. Or if we do get numbness, we know, like if I'm, you know, 10 miles into a downhill bomb and I start getting that arm pump or that numbness in my, my hands, I'm, I know how to fix that. It, right. It's fairly um, you know, intuitive what to do to, to get rid of it. So it's un- unacceptable pain ends up being you know, pain that's too intense, too frequent, or, or, or pain that happens too soon. 
so it really comes down to really like uh, I think Greg touched on is understanding you know how your body reacts under certain types of conditions. Right. Now that's that's a great definition. I think the the other thing too that came to mind for me beyond numbness was just things like blisters. I mean, you can get that on your hands and your feet. You know, if you don't have the right setup in terms of gloves and grips and and even saddle sores. I think that's kind of along the same lines. So, but yeah, I want to get to talking specifically about arm pump. And you touched on this a lot in your article, but I wanted to talk more about how important bike fit is to eliminating arm pump on the bike. Um, yeah. So the one thing is that I think, uh, are we talking about say uh, a prof- a quote unquote professional bike fit or just knowing some things that you can do on your own? Um, I think there's, you know, there can be, uh, you know, there's a, there's certainly, there's certainly separated by, you know, hundreds of dollars too. Right. I mean, I think, I think for a lot of people, maybe a full bike fit isn't necessarily accessible for them, but I feel like there are a lot of things that you can do in terms of adjusting little bits and pieces of your setup, you know, the cockpit and and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So to start with, you know, speaking from the very beginning, when you buy a bike and let's say you're a beginner, I would hope that, you know, spending thousands of dollars on a bike, it starts in the bike shop. And I've, and I've seen some bike shops that do this very well. And I've seen some bike shops, shops that do this very poorly, but I would hope that a bike shop would offer, get you really close in the range. So you don't have to go out and spend 150 to $300 on a bike fit. But more to your point, to answer your question, you know, I, I actually did pull some data um, and data is pretty limited in terms of um, overuse injuries, because that's what en- arm pump ends up being. It's not a trauma situation, but an overuse injury. And there's there's a decent study that was done a few years ago in Austria looking at overuse injury and how adjustments on a bike impacted those. And um, one of the most important things, the strongest correlations they showed was the uh, seat to pedal distance, or your seat height, hmm. was, was the most important thing. And it makes sense, because when you adjust that seat, it affects like everything, right? Because this, because of the seat angle, not only when your seat goes up, do you go back affecting your reach, you know, it goes down also, you know, shortening the cockpit, things Mm -hmm. like that. So, I mean, to answer your question, Jeff, bike fit is important in eliminating arm pump. And there's a lot of different um, adjustments we can make to alleviate that. Right. I remember one of the things that you mentioned in your article, and you had a great, great photo was um, of adjusting your grip. So taking your thumb and putting it on top of the bar instead of wrapping it around um, during your ride. And what's funny is I actually have a review that's pending for a thing called the, the TOG, the thumb over grip. And it's like a little grip thing that you put on your handlebars that lets you grab it and sort of wrap your thumb around the bars to eliminate some of that overuse or you know repetitive motion kind of discomfort that you're talking about. Is arm pump something that you've personally had to deal with and try to figure out in, in your riding? Um, to a limited degree. I mean, yeah, to a limited degree. Um, when I was riding, I had a rigid, I still do, I have my rigid um, 29er steel frame. And absolutely, you know, arm pump was definitely more prevalent on that bike. But, you know, it hasn't been like a chronic thing for me where I suffer for it, where I suffer with it, you know, all the time, every ride. But certainly, like I said, in certain condi- in certain situations, certain scenarios, like a long downhill descent, you know, I remember a couple of years ago going down, um, you know, Moab's Porcupine Rim and definitely taking, you know, breaks. So, yeah, I've dealt with it. You know, there are people that are, are predisposed to suffering arm pump on a regular basis. 
in uh, motorcyclists, for example, uh, it's a bigger problem in the, in the motocross world, especially. Hmm. So, Greg, I know you've also dealt with some bike fit and pain issues on the bike as well over the last year or two. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So before we dive into this, I really do need to say, like, I am have become, especially over the past year or two, a huge proponent for professional bike fits. I've had two pro bike fits done on total of at least three of my bikes and they've always been a great experience i've worked with eddie o'day in georgia and sean gillis here in colorado on those bike fits and each time they've been absolutely fantastic so you know while i think dialing in your fit as much as you can on your own is a good thing you know if you at all can i think spending 300 bucks on a pro bike fit is probably the best money you're going to spend so with that over the past year and a half I've personally been dealing with a lot of pain, intense pain that has resulted from nerve damage, which I think, to the best of my understanding, is probably a result of riding long miles uh, with an improper bike setup. And so I've been going back and forth with doctors trying to figure out what the situation was. And this summer, I was like, okay, I know I haven't had a pro bike fit in a while, so I'm going to really dial in my fit and kind of drill down every critical detail and eliminate every you know potential variable that I can in my bike setup. And so to do that, I worked with Sean Gillis from Absolute Bikes here in Salida. And we did a pro bike fit, which was really good. Um, but in addition, something I'd never done before, we also did a saddle fitting. You know, I'd done a pro bike fit before, but just with my stock saddle. But I went through about five or six saddles um, oh. at the shop to sort of figure out the best one for me. It, it was a pretty interesting experience, and I kind of want to write a more detailed article about this. But you know, with the saddle fitting, you begin with first finding out like the width of your seat bones with a like a padded measurement. But even with that width, there's a lot of different saddles and different saddle designs. Um, it was great working with Absolute, which is a specialized dealer of saddles, and they do specialized specific like bike fitting technology. But as a result, like there's a 30-day guarantee on any saddle you buy from them. So I bought a saddle. Yeah, I tried a bunch of saddles in the store. Some were good. Some weren't so good. I bought one saddle. I mounted on the bike, dialed in, took it out on the trail. But when I got on the trail, I was like, oh, this isn't working for me. So I was able to take that back and try something else, which uh, eventually cool. I ended up with a saddle that I really enjoy. So I did all that bike fitting stuff. I also did a lot of work with getting weight off my back using a frame bag setup from Oveja Negra Frameworks, um, which I think also helped a lot. So anyhow, long story short, I'm a big proponent of pro bike fits, and I think they really do provide serious benefits in eliminating pain, make you very efficient on the bike, and I don't know, I think they're the best money you can spend on mountain bike. This is Aaron. I wanted to jump in there and kind of touch on something that both Chris and Greg mentioned, you know, about getting a bike fit from a, a shop. And you know, if if you're buying a brand new bike and you're spending several thousand dollars, it's definitely a good idea to work with the shop before you roll that bike out the front door and get it as close to being ideal as possible. So if that means having them swap out the stem for a shorter or longer stem or a wider or shorter bar or swapping out saddles, etc., cetera, uh, a lot of times that's something you can do. If you're making a, a big ticket purchase, you know, a, a good shop should be willing to to work with you on those items right off the bat and swap out for something comparable that they have in stock. 
Yeah, I agree. And it was interesting. I spent some time talking with Sean about how that the fit process works versus like what happens when you buy a bike. And it sounds like, you know, Absolute, for instance, has like a bike sizing process that they go through for everybody that buys one. So, you know, they'll try to dial in the size of the bike and the the general, you know, items. But for an actual fit, you know, there's like an hour or two of just like body measurements that go into it before the fit even takes place. So like a full-blown fit doesn't come along with a bike purchase. Right. So it's kind of interesting to look at sort of the two differences. You know, you can do some stuff right off the bat that's really good, but then if you want to go way into the details, like that's a whole other level sort of. I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to jump in there real quick as well. I'm going to play devil's advocate just for a second because I'm not, I'm not sold on the bike fit unless – specific criteria are met and greg's i mean greg's reason for getting a bike fit is perfect because he's do he's into long long miles backcountry uh you know bike packing on the on the one extreme there's bike fit for a road bike and i think that makes a lot of sense i had a professional bike fit when i used to do more road biking because i was experiencing some pain because road biking is an, is a much more static position you're not moving anywhere near the amount of uh, movement you are on a mountain bike. I mean, on a mountain bike, you should be all over the cockpit during a ride. And it's just so dynamic that I have a hard time buying into a fit that where, you know, I'm using the bike, you know, to, I'm up over the handlebars, you know, climbing and descending, of course, and you're just, you're just moving all around. That said, I will just say that if you're in the saddle for long miles, doing long distances where you might be in a more static position, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so there are definitely certain criteria, I think, for me anyways, that, that ha- would have to be met for me to, you know, spend that money to get a bike fit. Yeah, that's an interesting point. So we've been talking a lot about using bike fit to eliminate pain on the bike. But obviously, a lot of pain that people are experiencing is, is due to just poor technique and poor form on the bike. But what I want to know is how much of our technique is actually dictated by our bike fit. You know, that is, can our technique suffer when we're trying to adapt to a bike that really doesn't fit us all that well or isn't set up correctly? Yeah, I'll jump in here. And I think this sort of touches on what Chris was just talking about. But so like, for instance, your downhill and handling technique isn't super affected by your fit. So there's definitely certain items like, you know, your handlebar height and stem length and you know, your cockpit setup to degree will affect your technical handling ability. But if your technique being dictated by your fit, I mean, I see that mostly with pedaling, with seated pedaling and your pedal stroke. So if you have a poor setup, that can have very big impacts on how you pedal, the way your foot and your leg and your knees work on the pedals. So I think your pedal stroke can be massively affected by your fit. So you can really compensate for that. And like we talked about overuse injuries, you can definitely see overuse injuries from a poor fit, which leads to poor pedaling technique, which leads to extra stress on those joints. One selling point for a lot of bike fitters is an increase in efficiency from the fit. So you, know, you can train really hard to get faster and get stronger, but sometimes if you have a bad fit or even a slightly off fit that can massively reduce your efficiency on the bike. I think Greg uh, hit the nail on the head. I mean, I talked about how, you know, study, a study or maybe some studies have shown saddle height to be the most important factor when limiting overuse injury or at least prolonging, you know, its its onset. 
But, you know, what do we do when we go downhill? We've got a dropper and we just slam that seat post and it makes the whole saddle height is just, that's just sort of thrown out the door. I mean, it doesn't matter. I guess it's kind of like, you know, everything else in mountain biking, you have to make a compromise. If I like, a, you know, a, a, higher, a higher handlebar height because I want to downhill more, I'm going to, I may suffer, you know, on a climb or in a race where I need to really, you know, weight the front on a climb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you're fitting on a mountain bike, um, you do have to uh, take into consideration the compromises you're willing to make. And when Greg was mentioning earlier, his experience with a, a good bike fitter will probably spend just as much time assessing you off the bike than he or she will while you're on the bike. And that's taking measurements Watching you stretch, I mean, range of motion has a huge um, impact on how he, that bike fitter is going to fit you on a bike. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, history, like have you had surgeries? Uh, where, are your, where are your hot spots? Are you experiencing pain doing your activities of daily living, you know, just not even biking? So, Yeah, that's good advice. I had one thing I wanted to mention that if you are trying to fit yourself at home, not, not professionally, you shouldn't change a bunch of stuff all at one time. You know, you should, mm-hmm. if you're going to raise your handlebars, for instance, you know, start with just moving one spacer underneath your stem and then ride that, you know, don't go ride it up and down your block a couple times and be like, Oh yeah, this feels better. You know, you need to actually spend some time and see if it made an appreciable difference or not. But you know, if you're having back pain and knee pain and, and you know, you, you change your handlebar and you, get a different stem and then you change your saddle height and you adjust your cleat position. Well, who knows which of those changes is actually going to help or hurt you. So it's, it's important to, you know, do it in small chunks. If you're doing it yourself, do it in small chunks and take it slow. Yeah, that's, that's really good advice. Okay. Switching gears. Now we're going to talk about what's grinding our gears and stoking our spokes for this week. We did this a couple of weeks ago and it was a lot of fun for us. Hopefully you enjoyed it as well. So I'm going to let Greg kick it off for us this week. Yeah. So what's grinding my gears this week is quite simply horse crap on trails. <laughs> um, and this is grinding my gears both as a mountain biker and as a hiker. I was just hiking um, some trails up near the West Elk Wilderness uh, near Paonia. And there was horse crap all over these friggin' trails. And I'm just like, what is the deal? You know, <laughs> if you're a human out in the forest, like you're expected to clean up after yourself, bury your crap, you know, or even I've got a dog and we take our dog hiking and walking all over the place and we pack out our dog's poop, you know, we bag it up <laughs> and we take it out. But if you own a horse, it's just okay to like spread your horse shit all over the place. <laughs> like I do not understand this whatsoever. You know, what's the rationale behind that? I guess it's mostly grass and stuff, right? Is that why they think it's not bad? Because it's like, at least it doesn't have like rotting meat in it. I don't think, I mean, it's still poop. It's still gross. Yeah, It's still very, very gross and unsanitary. I mean, people get sick from, you know, getting that stuff on their water bottles. And And it's not like it's even like off the trail, like out in the woods somewhere. It's like the horses poop while they're like going down the trail. And so the trail is just covered in this ground up layer of shit i mean how like of a crappy experience is that i mean honestly literally literally i mean it's like you want to go out in the wilderness have like this peaceful idyllic experience and you're just walking through horseshit all day that's funny i was i was riding up at uh bull and jake mountain 
a couple weeks ago. And, you know, that's a really popular place for people to ride horses as well. And I could tell that we were approaching a group of horses because I could see the horse shit getting fresher and fresher on the trail. It was, uh, you know, started out kind of brownish and it was getting greener and greener. And then, you know, sure enough, we eventually did come on a group of like, you know, six or eight horses. So following the trail like Hansel and Gretel, right? I mean, so what's grinding my gears? Um, I sort of was in denial for a, a long time about this this plus size wheels. Um, <laughs> and so then I finally, you know, the last couple of weeks started really kind of looking at it. And I mean, it's not really grinding my gears per se, but it's probably grinding a lot of people's gears out there. Um, if you're looking at this, um, as an option right now, because I think, you know, with any new, you know, quote unquote standard, there's going to be some really crappy bikes that are going to come out, um, because people are just trying to, you know, pl- you know, play catch up or, or get in you know, the, the market as soon as they can, meaning manufacturers, right? right. Um, I definitely think there's a, some bike manufacturers that are doing it right. But um, I think there's going to be some crappy bikes and we got to be careful about that. And especially as, you know, as bike reviewers, as we get on these bikes and test them, I think it's really important that we um, be honest with, you know, the bike community about how these bikes ride and what works and stuff. Because I think there's just like anything, like I said, like anything, the dust kind of has to settle and things kind of all the you know things ha- kind of have to get worked out, and uh, so you know just reading through a bunch of like the plus size things of what they're going through. Like one thing you know was like for a twenty seven and a half plus, which is probably going to take off a lot quicker than a twenty nine plus wheel. You know, it was like the the sidewalls had to be like super high mm-hmm. to I guess be efficient, and that's going to cause problems down the road too because you got these super t- high. Um, you know, sidewalls. And then the traction, I think, I don't want to see the traction get like super aggressive. I mean, you don't have to have like this super aggressive, like minion level, you know, traction because it's a, it's a bigger wheel. It's already going to have traction, you know? Mm-hmm. So some of the things are just kind of bugged me. It's like, I feel like the 27 and a half wheel size is still relatively new. And I think by, you know, manufacturers are doing a good job there. But, you know, it's like with new products, and this is going like further and further off you know, into a tangent, but it's like we're creating this, I feel like there's this big bubble of so many options that's sort of diluting quality, you know, and I just, yeah. I, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of shakes out from the plus size stuff. So it's only because I started looking at it. I really want to, I want to get on a 27 and a half plus myself. I'm, I'm thinking hopefully in the next couple of years I can you know, get on like a hard tell, you know, yeah. make, add that to my stable. I think that's a really attractive um, option right now. Right. That's what, that's what I was going to say. You know, if you haven't ridden one, then I say, yeah, withhold judgment until you do. I mean, yeah, it's frustrating to read reviews and, you know, try to make a decision based on what other people are saying. I mean, it's true for everything, you know, get on it and ride it. 29ers were the same way, you know, people had their preconceived notions about them and, just give it a try. And if it's not for you, then that's cool. But a lot of the hype is because people have tried things and they really like it. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how much it takes off. Yeah. yeah. I want to riff off of both of those things because like after our, the podcast about plus size wheels, I saw a few comments and people were like, Oh, I rode such and such a bike and it sucked. And so I think 27.5 plus sucks. But like Chris was saying, like I think there are some really sucky 27.5 plus and 29 plus bikes out there, and then there's mm-hmm. some that are really good. So if you test ride on one of the ones that isn't so good, then you're probably not going to have a good experience regardless. You know, so 
like while it's good to go and test ride, I mean, before you pass in judgment on an entire wheel size, you almost need to ride like a bunch of them. You're like, oh, okay, well, they do this, they do the 27.5 plus thing well, and then this other brand doesn't do it so well, you know? So, yeah, well, you know, you have people that still hate on 29ers for no apparent reason you know maybe they did ride one way back in the day and it did suck but i think a lot of people forget that you know 26 inch bikes sucked for a really long time for a variety of reasons you know from everything from the geometry of the bikes to the components that were available it wasn't like mountain bikes just came out fully formed as this awesome perfect trail shredding machine it's been an evolution and that evolution is happening a lot faster now it seems like you know 29ers definitely they the early ones did suck but I mean that was over 10 years ago and if you still think 29ers are suck and you haven't ridden one in the last eight years then you know go give it a try it might change your mind and so I think you know it is true with the new 27.5 plus wheel size that some bikes will be better than others but I don't think the learning curve is going to be nearly as steep especially since the outer diameter of a 27.5 plus is the same, essentially the same as a 29 inch wheel. A lot of that geometry has already been figured out. I think now it's, it's more up to the rim and tire technology more than anything else to, to keep pace. And instead of the, the geometry, I think they've pretty much gotten that part of the equation figured out at this point. Yeah. And I think Chris is right too. There are a lot of there are a lot of companies that are just kind of jumping on the bandwagon because that's the thing this year. And, you know, at Interbike, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with a company that didn't have a plus-size bike that they were showing. But, you know, a lot of these, you look at them closely and you realize that's just a 29er. You know, they really didn't do anything <laughs> no. to these. A lot of them are using, like, the conversion wheel sets, you know, using these, you know, 2.8-inch tires, which my Santa Cruz Tallboy from four or five years ago fits those tires. I mean, that's not really a new bike at all. And so, yeah, I think you're going to see quickly which bikes are actually being designed with a purpose in mind versus just jumping on this bandwagon. Something's grinding my gears. Yeah. What you, what's grinding <laughs> your gears, Aaron? Um, I got to find a new place to live, which is kind of a bummer because, uh, you know, I've got a pretty sweet setup in the, in the house that, we're renting currently. Um, I've got a, the whole basement all to use as my white workshop and, and bike storage. And, uh, you know, I've got no shortage of bike. I think I have eight bikes right now. Um, yeah. And those not including test bikes for work. So yeah, so that's kind of a bummer. It's a, you know, pretty crappy time of year to move with the, with it being the holidays and everything as well. And then, yeah, finding a place that's gonna, gonna be able to fit eight bikes is, uh, not the easiest so that's that's grinding my gears <laughs> well yeah your your place too is in a great location in terms of access to some in-town trails and stuff i can see that being a big bummer well not to end on a low note but um i'll talk about some of the stoke in my spokes so we're going to be upgrading the servers at single tracks soon the site's been growing a ton and We've had some problems with the current server and, you know, it's one of those things where people are like, oh, well, you know, that's a good problem to have. You just got so many people on your website that it's crashing your server. Well, it's not a good problem to have because <laughs> it sucks when, you know, you're frustrating your readers and, um, yeah, that stresses me out more than anything. So the good news is that we're going to be flipping the switch on a new server that's infinitely capable and that should keep us going, you know, forever. 
Um, so yeah, I'm stoked to get that going next week, possibly. And, you know, based on the tests that I've done so far, um, a lot of the pages and articles and things are loading like twice as fast as they are on our current setup. So hopefully nice. that'll, that'll stoke some spokes all around the world. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, on the, um, what's stoking my spokes is, uh, you know, talking about 27.5 plus bikes, uh, Jeff and I just got a test rig in to share. It's a Marin Pine Mountain 2. Um, John Fish actually reviewed, did a test ride review of the Pine Mountain 1, which is a fully rigid 27.5 plus. He rode it at uh, Outer Bike out in Moab last month. But we got the Pine Mountain 2, which is a it's a really sweet looking bike. It's uh, you know, it's got a Fox fork up front. It's got the new XT drivetrain, 1x11 uh, dropper post. It's just, uh, it's a super sweet looking bike and neither one of us had a chance to ride it because it has just been dumping rain and miserable here in Georgia for about a week now. So actually this morning was the first time we saw the sun for like half an hour and then it went away and started raining again. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, hopefully the trails are going to dry up soon and we can get out on this thing. Cause it, it looks like a bucket of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. If you're having a, if you're having some weather, why don't you ship it out here? We're <laughs> I can help you with that. Yeah, it's ironic that yeah, I mean you're you're close to Portland, right? And you have better yeah. weather than we do here in Atlanta right now. Well, thanks for joining us today, Chris. And yeah, you Greg bet. Thanks for having me. So we've been doing this podcast for a few weeks now, and we'd love to hear feedback from our audience about topics that you'd like to hear about, what you've liked or what you've not liked. So if you have anything for us, email us anytime, info at singletracks.com, and we'll try to work it into our conversation next time. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next time. Peace.